Welcome to episode four of Musings with Megan and Michael. In today's episode, we talk all about death. Having suffered a recent loss in our lives, Megan and I decided to go deep on all the various aspects of death. Why people die, why animals die, what we do when someone passes, what humans used to do, a little bit about reincarnation, then we move on to something that we've decided to call trickle-down charity, how to train empathy, how to actually make the right decision, and we ensure to ensure to assure you that we butcher a good old-fashioned Tommy Edison quote to close it out. So stay tuned for episode four of Musings with Megan and Michael. What do you want to talk about today, Michael? That seems so staged. Listen, <laughs> tell us about your cat. <laughs> so we had two cats. We, we got them last probably October, November. Christmas. I got them for Megan for Christmas, and they were born in October. They were born we in October. We got them. November. We got them the end of November, and we got two brothers from a litter. One was black, and one is orange, and we named them Kyle and JB after um, the main characters from Tenacious D the band and also the movie <laughs> Tenacious D and the Pick of Destiny. So one of them's name is Kyle Gass and the other one's name was Jack Black. But we ended up just calling them Kyle and JB. And well, JB's not with us anymore. We think he got hit by a car. So at least we found his body though. That would have been worse if he was still missing cuz we'd be looking for him forever. Yeah, he was missing for like 4 days before we found him and then I was on the phone with Megan. Um, because the neighbors had texted her because they saw her post on Facebook that they found a cat and I had to go over and they had the body in a box and I had to like look in the box and it had already been a couple of days. So he was basically just like, uh, like a black furry beach ball. <laughs> what does that happen? I don't, it was just like bloating and it was gross, but he had the collar on. So we knew it was him. Um, and then I brought him home and I buried him in the backyard and now we put flowers on his grave every day. It's a really bummer intro to a podcast. <laughs> I'm sad, but I'm, I'm over it for the most part because, all right, so Megan was in Cedamon. And for those of you who do not know what Cedamon is, maybe you want to tell, you want to just talk about what that place is yeah for sure it's um so we live in bali <laughs> i think most listeners maybe know that already um which is a small small-ish hindu island in indonesia and in the east part of the island really close to the sacred volcano here is a village called sedaman which is kind of like bali's best kept secret for a while and the only reason I'm even willing to talk about it publicly now is because since coronavirus and tourist numbers have been so down that they've been like really wanting guests and things there but before that I was like no I don't want people to go there and take it over <laughs> you know yeah there was a period of time when we first started going that people would ask where we were going and we'd be like oh you know 
traveling <laughs> traveling um but cedaman it's the sacred village in east bali and cedaman stands for siddhi mantra so those of you who know a little bit of sanskrit siddhi means it's s-i-d-d-h-i it means the superpowers that you can get through spiritual practice so if you've ever seen monks like sitting shirtless in the snow and steam is rising off their bodies they're perfectly fine or i guess wim hof would be a more modern example of that or david blaine or david blaine wait do you think david blaine's like real magic not like an illusionist you think he's that's like a, that's like that's its mind? own podcast topic entirely <laughs> michael loves magic <laughs> He's like the most amazed by <laughs> magic tricks of anyone. But I love magic too. Um, and I think like that kind of real magic. So yeah, so Cedamon is supposed to be a place that has a very high concentration of people who have these kinds of cities. And it has the highest uh, number of priests and priestesses in all of Bali and healers and things. So it's first of all, just a beautiful, beautiful village with like sprawling Riggsfield terraced hills down the mountainside and you can see the volcano in the background like the most beautiful views and vistas there and just probably what old school Bali was like before it became such a tourist destination you and, know? and from the place that we go to the most at night you can you can during the day too but it's really apparent at night that you can see the ocean so you're sitting in one spot where you can see all the way down this river valley through all these rice fields where there's like almost no construction it's just kind of just nature that it spits out to the ocean and then back the other direction you can see um, this gigantic volcano it's really cool it's amazing so i've been lucky enough to become friends with and also uh, she says spiritual sisters i would say if i'm her student for sure learning from this priestess there all sorts of mantras ceremonies things like that and she teaches on my teacher trainings with me and the healer up there too who i'm good friends with now and work with and working on a book together with and stuff so it's kind of my place to go away to to get away i mean we're still in Changu and bali it sounds so funny to be like get away <laughs> from city life or whatever it's not really city life but a place to just go have a kind of spiritual re- retreat, spiritual haven there. So why were we talking about that? Because that's where Cause I was when I had gone up there when JV was still missing after searching the neighborhood for a couple of days and then hoping that he would come back and Michael was continuing the search while I was there. But then while I was up there, I got the message saying that the neighbors had found him. And it was interesting to be there actually while it happened because, you know, I don't think Balinese people have the same sort of affection for their pets that we do. Like, mm. they're not sleeping with them in their beds, let's some, put it that Some way. do, but most do not. <laughs> yeah, but I think, like, they have just such big hearts that they're seeing me cry about what to them is just probably a, a cat, you know? It's like, why are you crying about a cat? Mm. But they were so sweet and compassionate towards me and stuff. But what they said I thought was quite interesting was they said that when they lose pets, you know, when their their animals die, they often think that it's because the animal's taking a sacrifice for their people. Like, maybe the human was supposed to die that night, so the cat dies instead. It takes that sacrifice. 
which, you know, maybe you could say it was just like a platitude to make me feel better, but it really helped actually. And it's funny because they'll say something like that and I'm like, oh, that's sweet. Yeah, that does make me feel better to think of it like that. But then they always take it this one step further, you know, and Balinese spirituality is just so, so entrenched in everything that they do that they're like, yeah, like here right now in Bali, there's this, uh, the pigs are all dying. And I was like, what? And I started looking into it. And it's true. Since before coronavirus became like a thing, just a couple months before, maybe around the same time, actually, that it was arising in Wuhan, suddenly, I think it started here, like the pig flu or whatever it is that the pigs are getting sick with, some unidentified illness that all the pigs in Bali are dying from, happened like December, I think it started from when I was reading December, January, which, you know, there were still flights directly from Wuhan to Bali during Mm. that time, too. So all of that to say, they really think that like their pigs, not that many Balinese people are dying of coronavirus at all. The numbers are really small. So they think that the pigs are maybe taking the sacrifice for them wild right yeah um that's what the priestess mama Atu was telling me anyway i have issues with all of that you believe in david blaine's magic but you won't believe in that <laughs> no all right well i it's not that i don't believe in it it's just i'm trying to that's helpful right yeah and they said that because it's helpful so i think that it's okay but then there's a certain line where stuff like that crosses and it becomes damaging instead Mm. of helpful and in in Balinese culture it seems to always be quite helpful to me but then I think about like any of the other coronavirus conspiracies that people posit (laughs) because they want an answer yeah you know this one's a little bit different where they're like well this disease existed and now these pigs are taking it for us that's kind of, that's cute you know like it's yeah. maybe it's true who knows but that's way better than i don't even want to get into the other stuff but like the other the other conspiracies that people have because they want it because it's always because people want an answer or a solution definitely yeah but i think you're right like as long as it's not like they're like oh, we don't have to worry about coronavirus at all because the pigs are taking it for Mm -hmm. us so we don't have to wear our masks or whatever. Like, they're still taking it seriously, too. It's almost just, you're right, it is a way to make us feel better in the end, right? And to to try to bring some reason to a chaotic world, which I think any spiritual belief is mostly that, you know? Trying to find some reason in a world that feels pretty bad sometimes. (laughs) Don't you think like it that made me feel better about JB, right? Because I'm like, what yeah. the hell? Like this ten month old cat didn't deserve that and he was such a good baby. Like he was just such a good cat. Mm-hmm. But to think like you were out that night, the night that you went missing, you were out at comedy night and I was worried like about you driving home late at night and everything. Yeah. So I'm not saying that the cat died so you wouldn't die. You're but... not saying that now, but you did say that like three days ago. <laughs> <laughs> but I think like maybe it just helps me to think like, yeah. I'm glad you're still around. If I had, I love JB very much, but if I had to choose between you or my family member or anybody dying and JB dying, JB is the one, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's good. He took a good hit for us, if that's the case. Yeah. And maybe it's not the case, but it still makes me feel gratitude for the people and everything that I still have, you know? Well, that... Gratitude for Kyle, too. Yeah. 
and Kyle's wised up since because the two of them, JB was the good one and Kyle was the like we, naughty. Yeah, I don't even know how to describe him. Like we were like, there's no way this is even a cat. It's an like, alien in a cat's body. Yeah, we he like we're is, checking though. the ears and stuff to make sure that they were real and he wasn't just wearing a costume. <laughs> Because he's just so weird. And I've never seen a cat. He's better now, but when he was growing up, his balance was terrible. <laughs> and that's like, that's like, I don't know. I, he, that's the most innate thing that a cat is. They're supposed to be nimble graceful. and balanced and graceful. <laughs> and he would just like fall over all the time. He didn't fall. Yeah, he kind of fell. He fell. He was like... But, okay, so what this is just making me think about is um, the the kind of, like, things that people tell themselves, I guess, to cope with death. Yeah, well... Because it was a cat, so it's not that big a deal. Yeah. We've both, you know, had other people in our lives die and other stuff happen. And the alternative to what uh, Shri or Ati was telling you about the pigs and, you know, the reasoning and stuff like that. The alternative is the world is chaos. There is no answer. It's all random. Yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. So, of course, like, people would rather have a, a an answer yeah for sure which you know to be fair like if you're if a close family member of yours has just died and then someone says to you everything happens for a reason you're gonna be pretty furious at that response to like for what reason could my child have died like there's sometimes it's actually just like don't try to tell me there's a reason for something horrible happening you know like people get pretty annoyed about that when they're in the throes of grief but you're right i think like in the long run those are the kinds of things that bring comfort to us is to think okay maybe i was meant to go through this very painful experience for some reason or maybe you know there is actually reasoning beyond these horrible things that happen and i think you're right about like the afterlife and how our beliefs about the afterlife are also largely to bring us comfort too you know and something else that people will always say when you lose someone is like oh they're in a better place now you know and again I think when you're in the throes of grief like in that moment there's not really anything that you can say to someone that's going to make them feel better about losing someone they love they're going to be like no the good place was here with me oh man like that show the good place yeah that show's good <laughs> but yeah like in those moments it's really difficult to to say anything that's going to make it make sense because it doesn't make sense you know it's really hard for us to cope with mm. but in the grand scheme of things for me anyway i think like learning about different theories about the afterlife and the soul's journey have brought me a lot of comfort around the idea of death and i see it happening here in bali too where they very strongly believe in reincarnation and in fact we have like quite a lot of proof of reincarnation where their attitude around death is just very different you know there will be you know people were saying to me when jb died like oh he had such good karma in this life and you blessed him so much that he's going to come back in a much happier more beautiful more amazing life next time mm -hmm. you know and it does it makes you almost celebrate the passage then you know what i mean 
um, not that we celebrated JB dying, but that was kind of people's response to me here was like, oh, that's great. Like, think of how, what a beautiful life he's going to have next time because you gave him such a sweet life this time, you know? Yeah, it's funny because if you, funny, like, I always start sentences like that. <laughs> Let's hear. Let's hear your Anyway, <laughs> anyway, um, like ancient Greece or the Native Americans or the Egyptians, they all had these rituals to do to the body. The Norse, like the Vikings and stuff like that, they they Everyone they had rituals, the, right? but but their rituals back then were we need to put coins on the eyes of the body so that they have money to pay the ferryman to get across to the to the uh, afterlife to the to the world of the dead, or um, you know insert whatever like all the things the egyptians used to do to their their pharaohs and stuff to ensure that they had the best afterlife possible yeah. that's that's how they i'm gonna help you out here that's that's how they um they they viewed funerals and 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 things like that but nowadays we don't think about it like that anymore so a funeral mourning grieving like though all those periods are purely for the people that are left. I would not agree with that, actually. My mom was just telling me they went to a funeral last week for a friend's mother and Catholic funeral, you know, the classic funeral. And the priest was saying about, oh, I know some of you are worried about the soul of this woman because she wasn't administered her last rites. You know, the final sacrament in Catholicism is mm. these anointing of the sick they used to call it but now i think they call it the last rites mm -hmm. when someone's clearly dying and she died before they could anoint her right so the priest made a point to say i know some of you are worried about her soul because she didn't have her last rites but really this moment this service is when the soul can then ascend once they've had this final service which like he really like made it that that final mass that funeral mass was that important for the soul like that that ritual and there's the incense there just as there is here and everything you know different kind of incense mm -hmm. but that that final mass was now like him <laughs> allowing the soul to ascend you know so i think we do absolutely have a lot of rituals around death that are not just for the survivors but also for I mean, that's Catholicism, but definitely here in Bali, they have their death rituals as yeah, well. That's in, well, that... Sorry, I didn't mean to... <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, it's interesting because all the people who are losing faith, like, that's, that's what, you know, that's how spiritual people will, will term it. The people that are losing faith and don't believe in faith anymore or believe in God or anything anymore, they don't have that anymore. Like, that probably was a huge sense of relief for people in the audience at that funeral, um, and there's a huge sense of relief here with their rituals and things like that. And knowing, knowing what they know about reincarnation, that they're going to come back as this or, you know, in this way, because they lived a good life. Um, people, people that are a spiritual don't mm. have that. Yeah. Right. I wonder if that's detrimental to, um, to their development or to their like grieving process right because in the end like i'm sure the soul doesn't care you know the soul moves on and and 
is at peace. Like the soul was not waiting for that mass, in other words, and the soul doesn't care if you put eyes on the uh, coins on the body's eyes and stuff like that. So in the end, you're right. It is still for the comfort of the people to mm-hmm. think uh, we've sent this soul off in a beautiful way. You know, we've honored this soul. So it is really still for them. Um, but I don't know, you know, I think from various atheists that I've spoken to and stuff, I think they find a sense of comfort, too, in the logic, the simple reasoning mind being like, it's a body, you know, we're all just bodies that are going to decompose. And it makes sense if they look at nature and they see things living and dying. And maybe there's an odd sense of comfort in that, too, you know, that you know it's funny people say like yolo right you only live once but i believe very strongly in reincarnation so i'm like i wouldn't be so sure about that (laughs) it's not really yolo but i guess there is a sense of comfort in believing that as well believing like this is our one chance and then once you're done you're done you get to sleep literally it's this basically the same right like you're just asleep you just rest at the end of a long, hard day. Mm. You just die at the end of a long, hard life. You know, I think people could find comfort in that as well, even without any spiritual beliefs. You know, science is kind of a spiritual belief, too. You know what I mean? It's just another way to, to think about the world. Yeah, they say that the main difference between science and religion is that religion has an answer for everything and science will say well we're not sure yet on that or we need more information interesting who says that they do (laughs) they (laughs) they are always saying stuff Uh, they say that (laughs) because i feel like spirituality also leaves a lot of space for the mystery you know i mean growing up catholic i remember even talking about that let us proclaim the mystery of faith. <laughs> Do you remember that from the service? Yeah. The mystery, you know, that there's going to be a lot that we just don't understand. And that you have to believe. Yeah, that faith. I mean, that's what faith is, essentially, is believing things that you can't see, you know, that you can't. But reincarnation, you can see the proof of this. Can I get into that or no? I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that any listeners need to believe in reincarnation the way that I do, but this is something that is verifiable. Verifiable. Like, there are children born, and I'm not making this up. Like, you can research this as well, and there's plenty of, like, psychologists who have researched it. Especially, you know, in the Western world, it's growing in popularity, this kind of research. But in places like here, India, Sri Lanka, you know, Buddhist countries, Hindu countries, they follow these threads of stories a lot of the time where children is born remembering, a child is born remembering their past life and saying, oh, I used to live a couple of villages over and I was killed by getting smacked on the back of the head by a shovel and then the kid has like a giant birthmark on the back of their head and isn't that turkey i don't remember actually that particular story this is one example of like millions and i can recommend some books for you guys too but that one like they went and they confirmed it they found the parents of that child in the previous life and he was able to go like mom dad like identify his parents talk to them about it tell them where his body was buried 
because it was buried and no one had known what happened to him or where he had gone. He had been killed by an angry customer. It's like this kind of stuff has been verified a lot. Even, you know, in the States, there are little kids who will go to museums and things, World War II museums, and see themselves in pictures and be like, that's me. That's my friend so-and-so. That's my friend so-and-so. We used to ride that plane and be like talking about parts of the plane that they should have no idea what they are because they're a five-year-old kid who has no clue about anything. Mm -hmm. And they remember these things. Like, it's not that outlandish. And even, like, if you ask any kid, you know, under the age of five or something, there's... I got started studying this stuff with Dr. Brian Weiss's books. And um, he would say, like, ask a kid under four years old or so, hey, do you remember when you were big? And just see what they say. Do you remember when you were big? And a lot of times kids will remember and can tell you about their past lives. Like you don't start forgetting until all the samskaras, all the layers and conditionings and challenges of this life start to take over and you start to forget. But yeah, we asked my, my, I had my mom ask my niece one time that uh, she was like, I think she was about three. Hey, do you remember when you were big? And she responded with, yeah, I was big six times. Like, as if it was not even a weird question. She was kind of nervous to ask because she thought it would confuse her. And instead, she was just like, oh, yeah, 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 I remember. <laughs> so cool, right? Mm-hmm. Craziness. Um, but is it, though? Like, there, there is, there are certain people who point to a period, and I'm not versed enough on it, but a period where they took reincarnation out of Christianity. Mm. Like it was there for a certain period of time. Yeah. And then and then the idea was that the, um, I guess it was the Pope at the time. Was it Constantine? I don't yeah, remember. Yeah, it was actually. It was yeah. Well, they the had Council a, of Constantinople. Yeah, so, so basically they had a conversation that was like, it's a lot harder to convince people how to live their lives if they think that they have more than one lives to live. Yeah. More than one life to live. So let's just say that this is their one chance so that we can really keep people in line. And that there's a final judgment day, like yeah. where you're determined good or bad. That's what and I've talked how. to my I've talked to my dad about it and I don't remember it was probably like a year ago that we originally talked about it. I think we talked about it. And he had some answers. Yeah. You know, there's always answers like, oh, well, the reason that this happened is because of this and this and this. But the guy who this is like hearsay now at this point, but because it's coming from my mouth and I'm saying the guy. But the guy who talked about reincarnation in the Catholic Church was like the go to scholar for like for his entire life. And then he was dead and they looked back at his stuff and they decided they didn't like that reincarnation piece. So they discredited everything, everything he did. Yeah, I remember that story too. I forget who the guy's name was. So. Yeah, it's really interesting to see what the history of this is because it's true. Like, even, you know, through hypnotherapy and stuff like that, or through meditation or through dreams, a lot of us still remember. And a lot of things that are currently affecting us, kind of anomalies and things in our lives, if you go through the process of trying to remember your past life, a lot of times there are holdovers from past lives. Mm -hmm. So it's actually something that's quite in, quite active in our consciousness, you know, is these holdovers from former lives to the point where like, 
birthmarks are often holdovers from past life injuries phobias unexplained phobias often come from the way that we died in a past life or something like that Mm -hmm. um and i see what you mean like why the catholic church or christianity would want to cut that out of their doctrine is because we're a lot less easy to control you know Mm -hmm. like you were saying if we think that we have multiple chances if we think of life as kind of just this game where each life we're just trying to do a little bit better learn a little bit more it's easier for them to say this is good and this is bad and if you do bad you're going to hell you know that's Mm -hmm. fear is a very strong motivator you know but from all of the these studies that i've done about this you know about um the soul's journey you not know? like research studies you just mean like reading and stuff like yeah, that. yeah. Right. well reading but also applying past life regression meditation uh-huh. to hundreds of students you uh-huh. know and hearing their stories like people will come out of these they're just meditations you know it's not hypnosis or anything you're just in a meditation that i'm guiding you through to try to remember mm-hmm. um people will come out of that with like answers you know explaining why they behave certain ways explaining why these patterns keep recurring in their lives you know explaining a lot of their fears a lot of their challenges are things that are really holdovers from a past life and sometimes just remembering them allows you to start moving forward whether that's clearing the past life memory or just getting a new direction for your life you know based on where you've been quite similar to like uh early childhood trauma or something like that when we have suppressed memories repressed memories from then how like uncovering those memories as painful as it may be sometimes it allows you to start moving forward because otherwise that trauma is stored in you somewhere and showing itself in a way that you can't explain yeah the the i guess you haven't really seen that with the past life stuff but especially with the childhood stuff the hardest thing is to take that as a learning point and move on versus put that in the I'm a victim column and then and then use that as ammunition to continue whatever you're doing. Yeah, good point. And I think some people are ready and some people are not ready, mm-hmm. you know, to do that kind of work. And I always say that's why I think the meditation thing is just a nice way to ease <laughs> into it because if you're not ready to deal with those things, if you're not going to be able to handle them in a healthy way, you just simply won't see anything. You won't remember anything. Like mm-hmm. That's why we probably don't remember all the time. I remember... I, I remember everything. <laughs> you remember all of your lives? Mm-hmm. I think you've had a lot of lives. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, in all of this study, you know, and all of this reading and all of this exploring that I've done with this kind of stuff, I really like the idea of the soul's journey when it leaves this life. And you you recently read a book about near-death experiences, too, yeah. which is similar, right? Mm-hmm. What did it say happens in that moment of death? Well, it's often different, but kind of the standard, there's sometimes a light there's sometimes a tunnel that people travel through like the the things that you see in cartoons are not made from nothing like those people got those ideas from somewhere um so usually there's a period in time where people find themselves over their body and then they're separating and then eventually maybe they'll end up but in other cases sometimes people just wake up and they're like jesus (laughs) 
what are you doing here? And he's like, what are you doing here? You're not supposed to die for eight more years. And then shoves them back into their body. Interesting. Nah, Jesus doesn't shove anybody. He has people to shove, to do the shoving. Yeah, he's got his spirit goons (laughs) to do the shoving. That's nice. Yeah, but that book was bonkers. Do you remember who wrote it, what it was called? Um, It was called The Dead Saints Chronicles something something into the afterlife. Cool. I forget who wrote it, but one of the guys, wow, no names, no names are coming out of me today, but one (laughs) of the top uh, people who are trying to change the theory, and I think they're doing a pretty good job of how old Egypt is and and all that stuff, like the dating of Egypt and all the sphinxes and stuff Mm. like that. There's, there's one specific uh, scientist who, uh, Egyptologist who I think recently died in the early two thousands and mid two thousands that wrote the epilogue for this book. So it's like these kind of like high level guys, the guy who wrote it super Christian, but also had a Zen Buddhist teacher for the majority of his adulthood, who taught him how to a Zen walk through the Christian afterlife. That's the subtitle. Who who he had a teacher who um, taught him how to do bonsai tree. So like the analogy running through most of the book is how learning to prune bonsai and the Zen view on things folds in perfectly with the christian view on things and with how the afterlife actually looks yeah because that book like you said it's kind of a christian view on things so it doesn't go further than the heaven period it doesn't it it it, yeah he there's a brief note on reincarnation in which he's like he quotes the thing that i said earlier about the council changing the the church's view on things Mm. um but he doesn't really get past that the whole purpose the whole purpose of the book which i think is really actually quite beautiful is he talks about how in the bible there are all these prophets and saints and like holy people who had these experiences or experienced these miracles or saw jesus or saw a burning bush or 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 what whatever they saw they saw mary in the sunset or something like that she sent them a message and his whole thing is why did all this stop in the modern era? It hasn't. We just have more science to explain what's going on. So when someone falls and bumps their head, we know their heart stopped beating and they experienced something somewhere else. Uh, Whereas yeah. 400 years ago or whatever, somebody falls and bumps their head, they think that they're seeing an apparition, that God is talking to them, and then they bring that back. So his thing is he why well, they call, still are right. Well, he that's why he calls it the Dead Saints Chronicles because his his thing is all of those people that are in the Bible and in stories from a few hundred years ago, we have countless more that we're discrediting now because we say, oh, you were just in a coma. Yeah, right on. But if those people were alive now, we would say the same thing about them. Yeah. So course. it's one or the other. Either either these powerful mystical experiences are still happening, and we need to you know, take heed in what these people are saying or they never happen. Right. That's so cool. It's interesting because I kind of, I started down this rabbit hole with past life reincarnation regression, you know, learning about different lives. And that was with like Dr. Brian Weiss's books, um, Many Lives, Many Masters. Yes. Multiple of his. You read the 
thing about near-death experiences and what happens then. And then most recently, weirdly, after JB passed, I found on my desktop a book that I didn't even know I had. Uh, I think it's Michael Neiman, I want to say, but it's called The Journey of Souls. And whereas yours focused on like the moment of death, I was studying a lot about the next lives. This one focused on what happens in between lives, basically heaven, the afterlife. Like what's it Mm -hmm. actually like when we're in the afterlife? And Mm -hmm. they all, even though they're all written by different authors and stuff, they all agree, it sounds like, on what happens um, and you're right, the light and the tunnel thing is so common. And these are mostly the ones that I was reading were by psychiatrists, psychologists who work with hypnotherapy. So while their patients are under hypnosis, they ask them to remember basically not just their past lives, but that time in between lives and almost in an exploitative way, kind of digging and asking questions about what happens. So from those sources and corroborated by many, many religious texts and other sources, what I'm gathering is it seems to be like the soul, like you said, has a little moment of hovering above when it separates from the body, looking down like, oh gosh, they're sad. Oh wow, maybe I can comfort them. Mm -hmm. Some souls get stuck in that middle realm kind of where they're really still attached to earth, usually because they died traumatically in a way that uh, something still needs to be resolved. Mm. And then those souls like really will try to stick to earth. And even though there's this kind of like suction feeling, the tunnel, the bright white light, trying to pull them into the afterlife. Mm -hmm. And that's a really peaceful feeling for most people. It's this like incredibly blissful feeling, feeling of, ah, peace, peace, peace. I can float away. Mm -hmm. Uh, For some, they might get stuck trying to to deal because they're like actively fighting against that pool where they're like, no, I still got to fix this. I still got to do that. Those would be ghosts, I guess. (laughs) But also, any soul can stick around a little while to bring comfort. And sometimes they're able to just communicate with their loved ones left behind to say, it's okay, I'm going to be okay, you're going to be okay, everything's good. Mm -hmm. And then they have this pooling away up into what's usually described as a bright white light. And what's amazing about these theories about our souls, like the Hindu theory of the soul, for example, is that it's very much interconnected with other souls and with the divine. So even though a soul may now be in heaven, it can also still be with you on earth in ways of communicating with you, bringing comfort, even Mm -hmm. when it's in its next life. You know, even if somebody dies in your life, reincarnates straight away or after a short resting period, it can still be somewhat in that astral realm, somewhat in that heavenly realm as well to communicate with you. I know that sounds very crazy and complicated, but to follow that journey, it sounds like the soul goes up into this beautiful bright white light. Every soul that has ever loved it, that it has ever loved will greet it there, especially if it's a young soul who really needs this beautiful transition. All Mm -hmm. of these beautiful souls, every grandparent that you've lost, everyone that you've ever loved, even if they're still incarnated on earth, shadows of their soul are up there in heaven to greet you. So if you feel like you had to say goodbye to your wife or your husband or something, you didn't really have to say goodbye. Their cosmic soul still exists in heaven to greet you, to be with you. So you get to say hi to everyone you get welcomed into that realm. If you're very religious, Jesus will be there or whoever the deity that you're most aligned with will be there to greet you and guide you. And likely you have a spirit guide that welcomes your soul into that realm. 
And that spirit guide then, after you feel comfortable, after you feel so loved, so happy, so blissful with these other light beings, all these souls that you love, then that spirit guide will sit with you in a super loving, beautiful way. Like some of the stories say that it'll take the form of your favorite teacher or your grandparent or something to sit with you and very lovingly review your life that you just had and say, okay, these were the lessons that you were supposed to learn. How do we think you did? How could you have done better? How can we move forward? Okay. And then you have this long period of rest and bliss where you then work out how you want to move forward in your soul lessons, what more you can work on. They say that you have this group of souls, like your soulmate group, who are all are helping each other work through lessons. So you get to hang out with them in this amazing, fun, beautiful space, heaven, essentially. Mm -hmm. And then you, when you're ready to go back to Earth, or a different planet, I suppose, or a different galaxy, why not? Then you choose your next body. You choose your next person that you're going to incarnate into and the situations that they're going to be faced with and and you do that based on what lessons you still need to work through what you still need to learn and chances are you're going to reincarnate with that same soul group once again in different relationships you know so that you can help each other out work through soul lessons and it all just when you hear about it like that, it, it sounds so much all like a game, you know, literally like a video game where we're just trying to beat each level. Each level is a new life, you know, and trying to accomplish certain things. And you're there with all the other characters who are your loved ones. And yeah. it makes it sound more fun <laughs> than it feels. You My, know? Yeah, because it feels so serious. And so two two things, really. First thing is you can believe all of this or you can believe none of this. But to me, the most important thing is how it impacts how you live. Mm -hmm. If you choose to believe all of this line for line, word for word, what if you choose to believe anything like down to the minute detail, but it causes you to be a shitty, shitty, shitty person (laughs) who only cares about racking up points to get into the afterlife Mm. or who, you know, is looking for a way to manipulate it so that you can be, live your life as easily as possible or any of these things, then you're still a shitty, shitty, shitty person. (laughs) It doesn't matter what you believe. If you choose to believe it and it makes you a better person and you say, okay, well, if everything Megan just said is true, then I'm clearly here for a reason. These people are clearly here surrounding me because we have experiences together and they're here to help me. Then I'm going to do everything I can to learn as much as I can and to be as helpful to them as possible. Amazing. Mm. Or if you choose to believe none of it and you're a shitty, shitty, shitty person, then same thing goes for you. Fine. Don't believe anything. Keep being a terrible person. There's no reason to live life. How's that working for you? Or you can choose to believe none of it and still believe in doing the right thing and trying to be a good person and all that stuff. All four of those, all four of those paths, it doesn't really matter what you believe because, because all that matters is really how you're acting right now Mm. from my, from my point of view. So people that really indulge in this thing, any level of spirituality in any religion or anything like that, people that really indulge but completely forget to apply it to their life now or 
to to use it to to make their experience better or others experience better are just missing the point so you could do all the past life regressions you want you could go to church as often as you want you can read all the sacred scriptures that you want all this stuff but if you're still kicking dogs and dropping babies then you need to that's what bad people do they just walk around with where they get the babies from they just take them (laughs) take babies and they drop them on dogs um okay so that's my first thing is i don't even think that there's any need to try to disprove or discredit anybody for any reason any religion really yeah if it's causing you to be a good person then end of story yeah because that's what i think our main duty is right now in existence is to try to be as good as we can and cause as little harm to others as we can beautiful yeah right can I? You said something interesting, though. I have a number two, but I'll, I'll do it after you say your thing. Yeah, I'm just curious about this because you said if you know this and you live your life just trying to rack up points, mm-hmm. wouldn't that be living a good and virtuous life, though? It could be. Like, but... does intention matter there? does what's on your heart matter you yeah know what I, I think mean? intention does matter because that's like the money making conversation as well if your mind is just in making money and you don't care how then you might do things that are less than admirable so let's take for instance i think the low-hanging fruit in this conversation is um well i won't even go down the islam road because that's super easy but let's take the the christianity um what are the people that missionary yeah. missionaries right christian missionaries if if you look back on the history of christian missionaries going into indigenous lands mm-hmm. whether that be in asia or the americas or wherever in their hearts they're doing the right thing by spreading the word of god mm-hmm. but in their actions they're slaughtering indigenous populations calling them savages dehumanizing people yeah. of course it's not happening well, I'm not even going to say, of course, on scale, it's not happening at that level right now, at that scale. Now. It's still happening, but not, you know, in, in the way that Christopher Columbus did it or anything like yeah. that. But that's what I think of when I when I think of that, because they think, I'm fully in belief that nobody thinks that they're the bad guy. Everybody thinks they're the hero yeah. of their own story. So they're all thinking that they're doing the best thing for God. Uh, interesting. Right? And that's going to get them closer to God when they get to heaven. Right. But in reality, they're like raping women and slaughtering children gotcha. and enslaving men. I see. But say like, I understand what you mean, but if the actions are good, so say you really believed in this and you believe that you need to learn soul lessons and things, what if your heart is not naturally compassionate? Maybe you're like an introverted kind of person, but you sort of overcome that to help others anyway because you know it's the right thing to do. That still counts, right? Yeah, but that that is under the pre-assumption. Is that a word, pre-assumption? Sure, presumption. Presum- presumption <laughs> that you are not able to change. Yeah. Maybe maybe your nature is to be introverted and only to care for yourself and you're forcing yourself to do good things for other people. Eventually, you're going to do enough good things where that's going to become who you are. Right. So, or that's kind of like the argument of like meta meditation, right? Yeah, Living that's where I was of... going next. Like Go I think that 
just like uh, endurance or strength or concentration, empathy, which is really mm-hmm. what that is, is being able to feel something for somebody else, even though you haven't been there yourself. Yeah. Is, is that right? No, sympathy. Either, both. Anyway, being able to feel emotions for other people is trainable. Yeah. You can't tell me it's not. Like, there are people that are more compassionate than others. And I know from a personal stance that I am way more compassionate now than I was, for instance, when we first met over a decade ago. Like, I was a lot less compassionate. I still had a lot of growing left to do back then. but, But the point stands that I've worked on that and actually try have tried to feel other people's emotions when they're in a tough situation or figure out how I would feel in that situation. And of course it was hard and there's a lot of confusion and things like that, but I've for sure changed. So anybody that thinks that they're just faking it and they wonder if God can tell that they're faking it, (laughs) just keep faking it, dude. Cause eventually, eventually it won't be, you won't be faking it anymore. That's so true. I've heard people say like when they first start a metta practice, loving kindness meditation, which is where you like visualize yourself sending love to individuals. Empathy training. training. Awesome. Where you, so usually you start with someone that you really do love. So it's kind of easy to send love to them, but then you move on to like a neutral person and then move on to someone you dislike this sort of thing. Um, some people find it hard to even send love to anyone. And I know a lot of people find humans quite difficult to love, you know, because we're never seen as fully innocent. And that's why a lot of people will spend tons of time and money and charity on animals, but Mm. not on humans because the animals are seen as more innocent, more pure. They're easier to love. Mm -hmm. They're easier to want to help. Yeah. I think for, I think for all you animal people out there, I think that you're, um, like those types of people are just they have a harder time trusting like I think that you're working through more more stuff and the reason that maybe you gravitate towards animals more is because you've been let down by people too often totally so now when I see somebody who's obsessed with animals I'm like oh meanwhile we just talked almost crying about how obsessed we were with our cat we love animals absolutely and i've been vegetarian almost my but i love to eat animals as well (laughs) i don't eat because i respect the circle of life (laughs) well there's this vegan cafe here in town that's really funny because it's it's all donation based it's amazing it's called give cafe if you ever come to changu and it's all you pay for the food but then they give you a token and you get to choose where your money goes to which charity and they have three clear boxes so you can see where everybody's putting their tokens and one is like to benefit the environment environmental Mm -hmm. issues one is for people poor people and people with illness who can't pay for their hospital bills and one is for animals and inevitably the animal one is the most full and it always boggles my mind because i'm like you don't want to help your fellow humans you don't want to help the planet which sorry if the planet's destroyed there's not going to be any animals either Mm -hmm, (laughs) you know mm -hmm. everybody always wants to give to the animals but i think you're right it's because they're they're cute and they're innocent they're easy to love (laughs) i think you have not more work to do but more specific work to do to under to like really understand other people's situation that i think that is a lack of empathy honestly i think you're right and i'm not trying to say that they're worse people or anything like that i just think that it's a different that's a different set of issues that they have to work towards and this is coming from like someone who's been vegetarian my whole life and absolutely love animals too but But you never put it in the animal box no if i had ten dollars to give i'm gonna give it to a poor person not 
to but but we thought about but we also thought about this logically if you want to help the most number of people and those are your only three choices you need to donate to the people box because if you can help the people then eventually they'll fix the environment and help animals as well yeah so there's some trickle down charity right there <laughs> trickle down charity I yeah. like it. but i bring that up because a lot of people who struggle with meta meditation though people who just don't have faith in their fellow humans at all sometimes find meta really challenging to do because they're like just find it so difficult to extend compassion and love to people and our teacher pakmerta ada here who teaches a similar vipassana style of meditation he would say okay then picture something that's very easy to love picture a cute little kitten start with that you know Mm -hmm. just send loving kindness to like a really cute little kitten or puppy just picture that how adorable send love there first Mm -hmm. and then build up to people you know and then build up to difficult people to love and things so you're absolutely right that empathy can be trained for sure and you should train it yeah and that's something that I'm kind of messing around with with some people that I'm working at working with right now yeah. is I'm um, uh, programming training blocks that overlap like physical training blocks that overlap with mental training blocks. Uh, so not like blockages. I mean like periods of time when I say blocks. So that hey, because the, I, there's this idea in fitness the in military fitness especially where it's the the burden of constant fitness Mm. where you can't always be you can't always be the strongest the most lean the have the most endurance and be the most capable and flexible like those are different bars and as one goes up the other ones kind of lag behind or maybe even drop off so you have to constantly change your focus in your training in order to maintain a high level of fitness across everything right but it's they're never all going to be all the way up so the way that i'm looking at uh meditation or mental training now is there are a few very clear aspects that you can train um be that concentration uh attention uh, focused awareness, uh, empathy, um, a couple of other ones that that um, that I'm working on as well. That those are all aspects of the mind that we should all train. Right. But when you hear people talk about meditation, um, it's often in this like do what feels right. Here's this type of thing kind of way, sort of like do just whatever. And what I'm messing with now is what if we approach this from like a very not standardized but a, a, a more a strict way where you kind of focus on one type of meditation for a little while and then move to the other and then move to another and then come back to the first one and, and allow build. those yeah. to, to build up on, on each other, which I don't know. I think is interesting. Of course I do. Cause that's what I, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> that's what I'm dedicating my life to. So right now. Interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So then the second thing that I wanted to say, as you were talking about, how this is all silly if you look at it from a many lives perspective where like you can very clearly see that this is just a game yeah um my favorite if you haven't watched midnight gospel yet like duncan's show duncan trussell um he has a podcast that we love which i'm sure we mentioned already probably in every episode of this um he made a show on netflix that's essentially conversations from his podcast turned into like cartoon adventures Mm. uh, animated adventures basically and there's one conversation that he has with the guy who's who trains buddhist meditation i forget Theravada meditation or something like that 
I'm not sure which one. But they get into Who the, was the teacher. Do you remember? Uh-uh. They get into a conversation. Justin Lowe, maybe something like that, is a younger guy. Okay. Um, and they get into the conversation about this being a video game. Mm. And in fact, what really working through yourself and really understanding why we're here and what we're doing is not to rack up points to get to the afterlife for whatever. It's not to, to become the richest or the most handsome or, or whatever. All of those things are still constructs within the game. And actually, the main goal is to realize that you're sitting on a like a cosmic couch somewhere with a controller in your hand. And the main goal is to realize that you can hit pause and put the controller down at any right. moment and walk away and then actually get the big picture. And that's what the goal actually is. What is that metaphor referring to, though, in our daily lives? Like hitting pause on the controller, is that meditating is that sleeping no no is because that, you know what i mean like yeah I'm, it, it's it could be anything but actually it's just perspective it's a perspective shift to go from being entrenched in the the warfare of day-to-day -day life to recognizing that there's some much much bigger things at play so just go left or just go right because it's all still a game anyway, and this isn't really you, and you're actually somewhere else, and you're just controlling this avatar that is deciding to make decisions, and, and none of them are right, and none of them are wrong, but they all have uh, um, questions that they can answer. They all have goals that they could help you achieve. Yeah. So it, it is like, it's a choose your own adventure thing where there's no right answer and there's no wrong answer. So like the gravity of all of your decisions, you can just take that off of it because this is not, this is practice. For what? Who cares? <laughs> you know, I like that a lot, and I, I feel like I've seen that exact thing described in so many different ways and so many different scriptures and texts, too, mm -hmm. where, like, even the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali would call that chitta vritti nirodha, quieting the fluctuations of the mind, mm -hmm. which means the video game we think we're in, right? What they would call maya in Sanskrit, the illusion of life is like constantly just running through our minds. And it's the main thing that we're so entrenched in. We think that our thoughts are our reality. We think that our thoughts are everything and that's that we're stuck in this game. And that actually, they, like Patanjali would say, the practice of yoga, which at that time was really just referring to meditation, pranayama, these sorts of things stills all of that chatter stills it it just quiets it and allows you to basically hit pause you know mm -hmm. like that's exactly the kind of metaphor that would have been used mm -hmm. you know is to just hit the pause button to kind of that's my problem hey you and I talk about this a lot where I'm like, it's a game, it's all a video game and I'm in it and I got to make the right decisions and do this and that and that. But actually you're right. Like what I really want to do is just hit pause and just rest and just be like, it doesn't matter which way I go. 
There's yeah, because there's there's this idea, and I I told you before how I struggled with this coming out of the Marine Corps because there is black and white, there is right and wrong decisions in the Marine Corps, mm-hmm. um, and there's this idea that most of us have that's like, is this the right decision? Should I invest in this company? Should I study this thing? Should I move into this neighborhood? Should I do this or this or this? Like, is this the right move? Is people ask that all the time? Is oh, this yeah. is this right? Am and I I'll doing the right be like, thing? God, give me a sign. Show yeah. me the right way. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Like they're all right. Yeah. How about that? There is no wrong answer. You just have to be okay to live with the consequences. If you choose to live in a shopping cart under a bridge, you're gonna get rained on. <laughs> that's the consequence. But you can still enjoy that life if that's what you want. <laughs> still a way to live yeah. right? like, <laughs> that's so true man it's hard like making the right decision puts so much pressure on us you know this need to be right this need to do it right like there's so it's many different f- ways to live a life yeah well that's the fear of failure i think also that's that's a huge issue yeah. um for a lot of people because they're like oh i need to be right so that i'm not wrong as yeah. if those two are like there's a duality between right and wrong but what if there's not what if there's just right and what if the only way that you can be wrong is by not choosing yeah that's by acquiescing yeah that's um i think that that's a a major issue for in america right now there's i forget who who i was listening to talk about uh politics but they they basically summed it up into all of the issues that America is facing right now is due to the acquiescence of the majority. Yeah, I could totally see that. Because it's easy to just let things keep going the way that they're going to go. Yeah, versus actually taking a stand and making a change. Mm-hmm. For sure. It's like that Thomas Edison quote I think you gave me, didn't you? Where he was said, <laughs> we've recently found out that Thomas Edison maybe wasn't such a good guy. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> That's a mild way of putting it, but go on. But um, he said something along the lines of, I've failed a thousand times on my journey. Wait, that was so not it. I'm going to let you struggle. Yeah, it was something like, I haven't failed. I've just done, I've succeeded in a thousand wrong ways on my journey to finding the right way. Something like that. Which I thought was cool because it's about like, even if something doesn't go the way that you have planned, Mm -hmm. it's still a step in the right direction always you know Mm -hmm. it's always going to be a step in the right direction because you're just learning more Mm -hmm. every time yeah as long as you're not malignant in your intentions then you're you won't be spreading cancer so just chill yeah and the quote is i i didn't fail at making a light bulb ten thousand times i learned how to not make a light bulb 10,000 times or something like that. Yeah, something like that. That's better. That's better. (laughs) But that's what that point stands. (laughs) But stop quoting Edison. He was a monster. (laughs) (laughs) He was a monopolistic monster. Yes. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I don't know what conclusions we've reached here because we started out by saying it's all a game and just do better each life and to being like, yeah, it's all a game and just chill. Or just enjoy it, I guess. Enjoy the game. Yeah. Or, you know, just keep doing whatever you're doing and die from high blood pressure and a heart attack and whatever And at the age of 64 and a half or whatever the life expectancy is. Don't do that. That's not good. Yeah, I think 
I don't know. We've very clearly chosen a lifestyle that is not typical, but also the world is going through a period of time that might become the new normal and is not typical. So everyone's going to have to adjust at some point. Yeah. Just adjust flexibility. Yeah. I don't have anything else to say. Me either, but I think we covered some good topics here, like training compassion and living intentionally from your heart. Mm -hmm. It's the best we can do, you know? Yeah, we should go check on Kyle. Oh, Kyle. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye.